0: We're going to be looking this morning in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, the message that I call, Unless Someone Guides Me. Unless Someone Guides Me. Acts chapter 8 and verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I? unless someone guides me and he asked Philip to come up and sit with him let's go to the Lord in prayer Heavenly Father God we thank you for the privilege of sharing your word and considering your truth bless it to all of our hearts and we pray it in Jesus name amen amen over the mark if you will check the light I don't have a red light We're okay. Okay. All right. Sorry about that. Uh, One of the things about uh, uh, doing things live. Uh, Our text this morning is a part of an action-packed series of passages in Acts chapter 8, uh, chapter 7, chapter 9, chapter 10. Uh, We saw the first martyr, the Christian martyr in Jerusalem as Stephen and a young rabbi named Saul locked in a debate And it ended with Stephen being stoned to death. Before the next chapter was completed, that young rabbi Saul will see saved and become the very famous Apostle Paul. That's neat stuff. Go from a persecutor, a hater of Christ, and a killer of Christians to being a Christian himself. for now, this Saul is leading that terrible persecution in Jerusalem, and it resulted in massive numbers of people fleeing. And one of those people who had to leave was Philip. He went to Samaria, a very hated and despised region by the Jews, no doubt thinking perhaps that by going to such a cursed area, he would escape the persecution uh, that was being led by Saul. Uh, Samaria, no doubt he would think, would be the very last place they would go. While he was there, he began preaching to the people about Jesus and the hand of God was upon him and many blessings took place and multitudes of the Samaritans were gloriously saved. When the tidings of this came to Jerusalem, the other apostles and Simon Peter would go down to see what was going on, and they would see the people receiving the gospel, and they would see people receiving then the gift of the Spirit. And it was their first real indication that the gift of the Spirit that had been given on Pentecost was going to also include those people who were not Jewish, even though the Samaritans claimed at least a common history and heritage with the Jews. It was a mighty revival, that Samaritan revival, a great movement of the gospel, an incredible work of the Spirit of God that God had accomplished through that great preacher, Philip. As the apostles were returning to Jerusalem, the Bible tells us that they stopped in many of the Samaritan villages and preached unto them Jesus. There's no indication that they preached Jesus on their way to the revival, but they preached Jesus on their way home. Nothing like a good revival breaking out to get people serious about witnessing uh, to their faith. And then comes that great passage right in the middle of this extraordinary revival. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and went... And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. You might well ask, what's the big deal? Why would God send an angel from heaven to get Philip to leave an incredible revival and go down then to witness to this one person, this Ethiopian... If nothing else, this passage would show us very clearly the importance of one. Remember, we serve the God who would leave the ninety and nine who were safe in the fold and go out then looking for that one sheep that was lost. Never forget you serve that God. Never forget we are dealing with that God, the God who loves us, the God who knows us, the God who in a world full of billions of people knows you by name and knows the circumstances of your life. Never forget the importance of one. One. But beyond that, the Ethiopian is the first of a trilogy of men mentioned in the Scriptures who came to know Christ. This man is an Ethiopian. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis and the flood of Noah, Noah had three sons, and one of them was a man named Ham. Obviously, through those three sons, all of humanity, all of humanity comes from one of those three boys. The descendants of Ham became the African and the Aboriginal people throughout the world. The next man mentioned is Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. He was saved and we've already mentioned he would become the Apostle Paul. Saul was a Jewish man. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. But go back further than that, uh, again, all the way back to the book of Genesis and the book of Noah, and you'll find out that the Jewish people came, as did all of the Eastern and Oriental people from Noah's son Shem. The third man mentioned is a Roman centurion named Cornelius. He was a descendant of Noah's other son, whose name was Japheth. And all of the Caucasian peoples are descended from Japheth. Now, there's a lot of elaborate theological theories that have developed over the years uh, around these three basic uh, people groups. But God is giving us an important message in this passage. And that important message is that all people everywhere can be saved by the same gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what color their skin is. It doesn't matter what their racial characteristics are or what their national origin is. It doesn't matter what language they speak. All men can be saved by the same gospel because God is not a respecter of persons. Simon Peter would say that in Cornelius' very household in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34 when he said, of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But we can look deeper at these three men. Saul of Tarsus was a highly educated man of means. He was a well-connected person. He came from a wealthy family. He was highly educated both in a classical and a religious world as he devoted himself then to being a teacher of the Jewish faith. This highly educated man of means, though, had a very real problem. His problem was sin. Cornelius was a respected soldier in a prominent position who, like Saul, was a devout man. But he had a similar problem. In fact, he had the same problem, the problem of sin. Before us in our text is the Ethiopian eunuch who served Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He too was highly educated. He was in a position of great political power because he held the purse strings of the nation. But he had a problem too, the same problem, the sin problem. So much of the resources of the Christian world today is devoted to improve people's environment. But let's not forget that the message of the Bible tells us that humanity started out in an absolutely perfect environment. It has never been better than Eden. It was perfect in every way. They had perfect fellowship with God in every way. Nothing about the whole universe was under the curse. And yet man still chose sin. And except for the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that choice of sin becomes man's eternal destiny. All of humanity then is under the curse of sin. And if we want to make the world a better place, there's only one way to do it, and that's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also notice that these three men were all on a quest for God. Saul of Tarsus was raised a Pharisee. He had devoted himself to learning all that he could learn about the law of Moses, learning all that he could learn about the uh, religion of the Jews. He was seeking God. Cornelius was a good soldier. He was a good man. The Bible talks about him as being a devout man, and that would indicate that probably he was a, uh, himself was a Gentile proselyte, proselyte, a convert to the Jewish faith. He did good things for the community. He prayed. He gave money. The Ethiopian, too, was seeking God. He had traveled all the way from Ethiopia to worship God in Jerusalem. What I want us to see today is that though Saul was a highly educated man of means, his education still had him seeking God. Though Cornelius was a good man, a devout man, and who did a lot of good things, his religion, all things he had done, still had him seeking after God. This Ethiopian traveling all the way up to Jerusalem... Seeking after God. Don't miss the fact that all three of these men had gone as far as they could go in the religious uh, world of the Jews, in the religion of the Old Testament, and yet they were all lost. Cornelius was lost, the Ethiopian was lost, Saul was lost. How could this be? How could they be seeking God? How could they be going to the Jewish religion of the Old Testament and yet not finding God at all? How could they be devout? How could they be committed? How could they be going to Jerusalem to seek God and still be lost? Well, the religion of the Jews in the New Testament suffered from a fatal flaw, and it would be Paul himself later who had lived that, who would spell out for us plainly what that flaw was. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. Jesus would basically say the same thing. Put it in another way in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said to them very plainly, and remember the scribes and the Pharisees were the religious leaders of their day. Yet Jesus said very plainly and emphatically, except your righteousness exceeds theirs, then you won't go to heaven either. Wow. Jesus would later call these religious leaders blind guides and caution about how the blind were leading the blind. This is what had happened to the Jewish nation and the Jewish religion because it had become a religion of ritual and of works. Things haven't changed a lot. All of the false religions of all the world can be boiled down and when you get them down to the nitty-gritty, it's a religion of ritual and works. That's what they all are. And only one is the true religion, and that is the one that is based on believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter would say, There is salvation in none other, for there is none other name given among men whereby we might be saved. Jesus himself would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. It's not a popular message in our world today. And yet it has always been and still remains the message of Christianity. We return then as to this text and we see the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in its broader context of men who had done everything they knew how to do. They had tried everything their religion taught them to try. They were doing all the things that they knew to do. And yet there was still a gnawing emptiness in their heart and life. Maybe that's your story today. Maybe that's exactly where you are this morning. Uh, maybe th- this is the story that you have, uh, that you don't know Jesus Christ. and Maybe you've been to church and you've tried everything that church has for you. But you're not there. You don't have Jesus in your life. So as we pick up this story then today and we see uh, Philip going down to, to Gaza and meeting up with this Ethiopian and Philip is running to him and hearing him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip then to come up and sit with him. What an amazing story that is. I've used Philip's approach many times. When I'd see people reading the Bible in public, I'd ask them, uh, Do you understand what you're reading? Sometimes I'd say it in King James English, and that would really get me a funny look. Understandest thou what thou readest? <laughs> huh? <laughs> oh, but let's hold off on that just a minute, Jason. Uh, but uh, let, let's, uh, let's get this in our mind. Here's Ethiopian. Uh, the treasurer, reading from the Scripture, reading from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 53. And Philip heard him reading that aloud. The place of the Scripture which he read, verse 32, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. We love how the story ends. As they went on down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. And now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing, rejoicing. That's what we call a happy ending. Don't you like a happy ending? He went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because he had found what he was looking for. He had Jesus in his life. He had given a testimony of his faith in Christ. This is a great passage because it tells you why the Bible teaches believers baptism, not infant baptism. We can see in our mind's eye then Philip and the Ethiopian going down into the water. The word baptized means immerse. He baptized him in the name of the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit exactly as Jesus taught us to do. Now along about this point, some of you might be thinking, well, preacher, have you forgot what day this is? This is Mother's Day. I hadn't forgot what day it is. Know exactly what day it is. I wish we had a house full of moms. We could all honor today, but we can't. But the message that I'm about to give you really applies to everybody who is a mother and to everybody who has a mother. It's the title of this message that I brought to you this morning. It's the question asked by the treasurer of Ethiopia so long ago. How can I understand this unless someone guides me? Unless someone guides me. Remember the whole context of this passage is built around people who went looking for guidance... But the people they went to, the Jewish, had no guidance to give because they were blind themselves. They couldn't tell anybody else how to find God because they didn't know how to find God. All they could give was their religion and their ritual and their works, and it left them all empty. We are raising today a generation of people who are incredibly adept. I we will never cease to marvel, I guess, about how you can hand a little toddler an iPhone and he'll have a game up, playing a game, and about that quick. A toddler. I mean, they can't even read yet. But they know what that game icon is. Of course, they're just as likely to be calling somebody in Europe somewhere or maybe Japan, you know, who knows. But uh, give them an iPad and, man, they can work with it. We're raising a generation who are going to be incredibly, incredibly adept at technology. They're going to grow up with the internet all of their life. We've already got a, a generation graduating school right now, and several of them before them that have grown up all their life with the internet and all the incredible information that is there and all the terrible dangers and darkness that is there as well. They'll grow up with it all. I'm bringing you this story today, moms. I'm bringing this story to you today, all of you who have a mom. (laughs) Because if this next generation is going to know Jesus, somebody is going to have to guide them to the truth. Somebody will have to teach them the word of God because they're not going to pick it up on their own. They'll pick this thing up on their own. They'll pick playing up on on a phone on their own. But they're not going to pick the Bible up on their own. They're not going to pick up the truth of Jesus Christ and understand it. Somebody is going to have to guide them. Somebody needs to tell them to read the gospel of John over and over and over again because it's designed to prove to them the simple but profound fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. Somebody needs to tell them to read Matthew a whole lot. Somebody needs to tell them that they need to study Genesis a long time before they study Revelation because if they try to read Revelation and understand it without understanding Genesis, it's going to be a mystery to them. They need somebody to guide them and tell them who Daniel is and who Isaiah is and who Jeremiah is and who David is and Saul and Solomon and Ahab and Jezebel and Elijah and Elisha and Matthew and James and John and on and on and on. They need someone to guide them. Someone who knows what Jesus did for us. Somebody who can tell them how that Jesus left the throne of glory and came to this earth and lived among sinful men how that he died on the cross and was buried and rose again the third day for our salvation. They need a guide, someone to guide them. It's interesting that in all three of the stories of these passages, God saw to it that these men who were seeking him had a guide. The treasurer of Ethiopia obviously had Philip. Saul of Tarsus had Ananias. Cornelius had Simon Peter. Three men who needed Jesus. Three guides. Question for us today is how can you become a a guide? And uh, of course, we must say the obvious. If you're going to guide others, you, into godly truth, you're going to have to have a good understanding of that truth yourself. You need to know the scriptures. And this isn't just for moms, but it's for dads as well. You're going to guide your children into the truth of Jesus Christ. You need to know it. And that's what being involved in church is all about. But beyond that, you need times of personal Bible study. If you need a good guide, holler at me. I'd love to help you start out on a systematic study of the Word of God so that you can get an overview of the Bible. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've been saved all your life. I want to tell you again, as I've said many times, and I've said even last week, we're, we're not going to shame you. Uh, if you don't know, we're, we're thrilled that we have opportunity to help you know better. Beyond that, then, there are some abilities in this passage. These abilities have been pointed out by many, many preachers in the past. I'm not going to take credit for coming up with them uh, because they've been around for a long time. But I am going to share them with you today. Maybe some of you are hearing this for the first time three abilities that are demonstrated by these three guides that God brought in this passage. First of all, there's Philip, the guide to the treasurer of Ethiopia. And Philip represents availability. Availability. First ability is availability. In a way, this is the most important one of all. Philip was willing to go to Samaria. Though he might not have liked Samaria, he might not have been there before, certainly he hadn't planned to go there, but that, that's where he is. And when he finds himself in Samaria, then he begins to preach Jesus Christ to the people who were there. And there was a great revival. But when God tapped him on the shoulder and said, I need you in Gaza, Philip went to Gaza. No questions. No arguing. The Bible says he got up and went. Availability is one of the greatest challenges that we all face in this busy world. But perhaps the last eight weeks have taught us that we can do without a whole lot of things that maybe we used to think we had to have and that we had to do. I want to say something knowing full well what I'm about to say. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing can take precedence over guiding others to the truth of Jesus Christ. Most especially if they are your children, your grandchildren, or your great-grandchildren. The question of this Ethiopian treasurer from so long ago echoes in our ears today. How can I understand unless somebody guides me? Availability. The second great ability is illustrated by Ananias. And that's what we'll call expendability. Expendability. You see, God sent Ananias to witness to Saul. And by the way, Saul had come to the city of Damascus to kill and imprison Christians. And when God sent Ananias to go and talk to Saul, uh, Ananias felt compelled to let the Lord know about this. Apparently, God, you don't know about this guy. I've heard a lot about him. He kills Christians. I'm a Christian. Are you sure? And God just gave him the same instruction again. You go down there, Straight Street, Damascus. You tell Saul, he's a chosen vessel unto me. And Ananias went down there, setting aside his natural instinct, no doubt, for self-preservation to be obedient to God's command. I'm sure Ananias was never sorry that he put away his fear and he went that day and served the Lord. You may have to risk your life someday to witness for the Lord Jesus. God may call you or your son or your grandson to go to a foreign land. You may have to suffer loss. You might have to endure ridicule. You might have to put yourself at risk in order to do the Lord's work. The greatest ability is availability, but after that, the second's likened to it, and that's expendability. We understand that we may have to sacrifice for the Lord's work, and are we willing to make that sacrifice? The last guide that illustrates the ability, is Simon Peter. And Simon Peter represents adaptability. Adaptability. <clears throat> it was a huge faith uh, step of faith, you see, for Simon Peter to enter the home of the Gentile Cornelius. He was doing something he had never done before. As the vision of the great sheet taught him, when God said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat, Simon Peter said, Lord, I'm not so, Lord, I, I've never eaten any of this stuff before. But that was designed to prepare him to go and visit with the Gentile Cornelius. When he walked into Cornelius' house, he was doing something he had never done before. He looked around and there was a crowd of Gentiles there gathered to hear the word. He had never preached to a crowd of Gentiles before, but you know he did. (laughs) He did. He didn't even get to finish his sermon because the Holy Spirit interrupted those people were so ready to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as Peter began to preach to them, the Holy Spirit of God fell on them. He ended up baptizing a bunch of Gentiles that day. He had never done that before. You see, being a guide means that we need to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. God may tap us on the shoulder, send us somewhere we didn't expect to go. God might tap us on the shoulder, send us to somebody, maybe put our life at risk. He's done it many, many times before with His people. God may very well ask us to do something we've never done before. Being a guide (laughs) means that we need these three great abilities demonstrated by these men. Availability, expendability, and adaptability. wrapping it up then today I want us to just think in and kind of hone in then on that great question leaving a revival meeting going down to talk to just one guy as he approaches the chariot he hears this man reading aloud of all things reading aloud you understand what you read. How can I accept some man, somebody should guide me? How can I understand unless somebody should be my God? I want to send out this challenge to all of the mothers who are here and to everybody who has a mama. Let's think about being spiritual guides. Think about what a tragedy it was when Jesus would speak of the nation of Israel and call them blind guides. The blind leading the blind. May that never happen in America. May it never happen in Faith Baptist Church. May we be the kind of people that understands that sometimes the greatest work that any of us has to do is inside the walls of our own homes as we guide our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren into the truth of God. Do you understand what you read? How can I? except some man should guide me. Somebody should guide me. I'm going to lead us in a prayer at this time, and after this, Brother Jason is going to lead us in a hymn of invitation. I want you all to think for a moment about your own spiritual condition. Maybe you've gone to church, but you left church feeling empty. The reason is because going to church won't save you. You've done a lot of good things. Tried to pray, tried to read the Bible. It just leaves you empty. The reason is because praying and reading the Bible is not going to save you. There's only one who can save you, and that's Jesus Christ. And the message is that we must understand that we're sinners. and We believe on Jesus and ask Him to forgive us of our sin be our Savior and that folks begins that glorious relationship with Jesus Christ as he fills your life with the presence of the Holy Spirit that's what you need and then you need a God